Yeah, that's it. A bit like uh, Ken, I love him on page 62 of your book. You got Ken here with his huge spreadsheet and he uh, he's sitting there proud all saying, last year I spent $19.50 on hand lotion. <laughs> love that one. But... No comment. <laughs> Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. Hola, hermano y hermanos. My name is Adam. Mate, we just had a phenomenal interview with Scott Pape. Better known as the Barefoot Investor, author of the book, The Barefoot Investor. Yep. So if you haven't heard of him, he's one of the leading personal financial experts in Australia. Obviously, author of The Barefoot Investor. He's got a huge following over 100,000 Australian listeners. If you're from Australia, you've heard him on Channel 7, Triple M. Harold's son, and his main goal is to empower people to just realize, I've got this, and he is an all-around bloody legend, isn't he? He is, he is. So his book is currently number one on the Aussie charts. It's been there for 10, 12 weeks, sold 150,000 copies. It's just everywhere, and it's bloody phenomenal. Simple, step-by-step. Check out our episode on it from the weekend. Yeah, that's it. We, we cover a very wide range of topics. One of, the, uh, one of our my favorites to cover was the topical property market at the moment, yep. ranging from that all the way down to your personal finances and how you can take control of your, your money. That's it. Take control and yeah, I've got trust it. in the barefoot investor. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Welcome to the What You Will Learn podcast. Uh, we loved your book, The Barefoot Investor. We read it and reviewed it during the week. We got a lot out of it. Uh, can you start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started as the barefoot investor? So I started many years ago. I graduated from university and I went to work at the Australian Stock Exchange, as it was known then, uh, in Sydney. And I went in there and uh, I'm a country boy at heart from Victoria, from a little place called Oyen. Um, And I kind of realised that I really didn't like the industry that I was getting into. Um, most of, you know, it's it kind of, it, it wasn't a great industry. Um, and from there, I went from the stock exchange and I came back to Melbourne and I worked uh, as a stockbroker. And uh, yeah, I was, I, I sort of didn't really gel with it. And a lot of it was sort of, um, was sort of bulldust. So I wanted to do something <laughs> a little different. And that's what I did. So I started this thing called the Barefoot Investor uh, on the Student Youth Network, which is a little radio station that no one really listened to at the time. Um, and I realised that most of the stuff, most of the finance stuff was written for older people, right? And it was either really condescending, so it was really for for um, for, for old, older people, or it made, you know, it just basically was all this common sense stuff like, you know, cut out your lattes or, mm. you know, wash your windows with freaking, I don't know, <laughs> uh, potatoes or something. You know, it's like, you know, trying to try and do something different um, that just sort of, you know, basically was my view on how to do it. And that's that's how the, the Barefoot Investor came to light. Yeah, awesome. My uh, grandparents are from uh, a farm near Robinville, so close-ish to Oyen. Um, nice. And uh, you said you walked into the stock exchange. You said you didn't quite gel or didn't quite fit in. What What was it? You just you just knew, or was there something specific about it? No, I mean, I think um, as you um, as I sort of worked my way through the finance industry, I realised it was pretty sleazy. You know, it's a sleazy yeah. industry. Yeah. I mean, it's designed. Um, you know, if you look at the difference between a low cost fund uh, in your super and and the, an average fund. 
which is what most people are on, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna pay what nearly a quarter of a million dollars uh, over your lifetime in fees, mm. and so essentially the banks and the financial institutions have got a vested interest in you not knowing. They're quite happy for you to spend more time thinking about your footy tips than your super <laughs> because they're making a shitload of money, you know. And so I looked at it and went, I would rather do something and be fiercely independent. And everyone thought I was a total moron because there is so much money to be made um, mm. as, a, as a financial planner, as a financial advisor. There is so much boatloads of money to be made. And back then there was because they were still doing all sorts of dodgy stuff like trailing commissions and stuff. Uh-huh. It's like, you know what, I actually want to do something that, that I'll be proud of to help my mates and my family and stuff. And I didn't want to go and chase millionaires. Um, my parents and family are, you know, rural country people. So I want to do something for them. And that's kind of how Barefoot came through. But the reason I didn't gel with it is because I thought most of it was bullshit to me. <laughs> yeah, just on <laughs> that, what is, what is the biggest piece of bullshit that the financial industry tells us and, and then make, that makes us average people believe? I think that the big one is that, um, that they care about your money. And the truth is <laughs> that I care about my money a lot more than I care about your, your money. For sure. um, and the truth is that um, the majority, you know, you can, no one cares about their money more than, more than that person and that family. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, there's always a cost to dealing with financial institutions and, you know, they do a good job, but you want to lower that cost because it's really, you know, it's quite shocking when you think about it that just by doing, going to work and doing the right thing and just ticking a box that no one thinks about could end up costing you, you know, a quarter of a million bucks over your working life. And that's just in fees, you know, so... That's a huge amount of money given that the average person today retires with about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or thereabouts. So that's effectively, you know, the money that um, they're putting in a super. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well you said you started out after you slowly made your way out. You said you worked for five years, but on the side you were sort of building your own your own yeah. little gig. Uh, you worked for free and then you started freelancing and over five years, built it up to until you could transition to the the full time business. Yeah, what sort of stuff were you doing over those five years, and what was the tipping point to pull the trigger and say, okay, this is I can now support myself doing this? So what I was doing at the start, I was um, just writing articles, um, I was uh, doing speeches, free speeches for people, uh, and just giving my view. I was an expert, you know, I'm an expert, um, a qualified advisor, and I was just helping people. And I would be writing things mainly for free, uh, just to newspapers and all the rest of it. Uh, I got approached after I started the show. Um, you know, the funny thing was, and you guys do a podcast, right? Um yeah. What I found was really hard was that I would try and get like a suburban like Daryl from <laughs> the financial planner from Box Hill and be like, dude, I'm not going on a FM radio show with you. This is totally uh, lowbrow. No way. I'm like, oh, damn, Daryl doesn't want to go on my show. Right, so maybe I should just ask Sir Richard Branson. He's like, sure, I'll come on your show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, cool. Okay. So I was, I was fishing in the wrong pond because, um, you know, those sorts of people are never going to give you a leg up. So what I found is that really successful people um, were much more likely to give me a go, and they did. And so Richard uh, wrote the sort of forward for my first book, which was sort of unheard of. So yeah. wow. um, yeah. I guess for me what I found was that um, I was tenacious. My heart was in the right place because I'm like, you know what, this is re- a really sleazy industry. 
everybody's either trying to rip you off uh, and trying to get you to do a financial plan, which they get a certain cut of your money, or alternatively, they're beating you over the head with some mind-numbing stuff like don't drink a latte every day and, you know, like just don't ever do anything with your life, have no fun, and then when you're 70, you'll be really happy. Miserable, maybe, but, you know, you'll have a lot of money. So I wanted to write something that was basically, um, you know, for me and my family and friends. Basically what happened is I got um, approached to write this book. The book became a bestseller, um, which uh, amazed my publisher at the time. Um, and then uh, I got picked up by the Herald Sun News Limited, um, and I started writing a syndicated, nationally syndicated newspaper column. Uh, and then I started that sort of snowballed and I started doing um, some more investment advisory work and I uh, was doing speeches and then it sort of just grew from there. Um, but I always had this thing of not being aligned uh, with any financial institution or not taking any fees or anything like that. Uh, and that's sort of people thought I was completely nuts when I did it. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could have uh, made a lot of money just off having uh, some affiliation with a, a bank or a fund, I'm sure with that kind of audience, uh, any of them would love to get in front of it. So what, sure. what was the, the reason behind that, not doing uh, that? Just because, um, because I, couldn't, I couldn't look myself in the mirror if, if, I, had, if I did a deal with a bank. And there's been, they've all tried. They've all tried. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they still are as well. And, uh, uh, and even at the moment, like I write about ING uh, in my latest book, um, and I've never taken a cent from them. I've never, not a footy ticket, nothing. I, I, if I go out and talk to them, I'll buy the coffee just because I think it's such a sleazy industry that you just want somebody to say, you know what, I'm not getting paid anything for this. I'm just giving you the same advice that I give my, my, my mate or my mum. Uh, and I think that's core to, you can't, you can't be going, oh, you know, I'm going to give you the, this advice. Oh, by the way, these yeah. guys are actually give paying me. me. Back. Yeah. No, it just doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just on your book, mate, I, the, one of my favorite parts of the book is like how you don't have to budget because in the last few years, I've been trying to count my pennies and do all that kind of stuff. But your book just kind of changed my whole idea about that. If you just automate everything, then you don't have to really think about it and then you just know in yourself it's got it's all settled. So can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I mean, so a couple of things. Um, so uh, firstly, I would say I, I, I help a lot of AFL players, right? And um, and what I found with the AFL players is that um, they earn a lot of money, right, mm. but they spend a lot of money, right? Mm. So they've kind of got, if you think about their money strategy, not all of them, but some of them, they've got a bucket, right, and there's a hole in it and it just goes straight through and they, can, they can't work out why they don't have any money. Um, but the thing, the sort of the, the, the defining principle or moment for me was actually getting married. So my wife, Liz, um, who I love dearly, is not a finance nerd. Like she just does not do the whole finance thing. And so I took her out for dinner at the Romsey pub just before we were about to get married, right? And I said, here's how we're going to manage our money. And I actually <laughs> drew it on the back of a serviette, right? Yeah. So Liz does not do spreadsheets, right? She does not, She, you know... The only time she's ever gone anywhere next near Excel is when she was sort of she accidentally hit it. You know, <laughs> she's like, put it down, stop it right now. <laughs> um, so we're kind of different in that way. But what I realised is that if we we're going to try and um, manage our money, I had to keep it really, really simple because life is really complicated. So basically, what we did is we had this three bucket approach, which is 
blow for blow money, um, grow and mojo. And I basically said, we've, we've got one of three options of where we put our money. Um, and that's kind of how we did it. So, and that's how we do it even today. We don't have credit cards. Out of our blow pocket, we have three accounts. Uh, one is a splurge account, so we splurge 10% of our money. One is a small account, so for longer term things, if you want to go overseas or something. And then we have what's known as a fire extinguisher, which basically puts out financial fires. Um, so it's a really simple way of doing it. But what I kind of found is that if you put it, if you automate it all, um, there's nothing worse than trying to do a budget because most people, I've never been able to stick to one. I can mm. just, I just don't, I don't have the willpower after, because I work and I've got kids and um, stuff, I just never had the willpower. So what I wanted to do was automate it. And that's what the Serviette strategy allows you to do. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I think as, uh, as hard as you try to try and plan every expense, there's always going to be things pop up that you weren't expecting. It's like a it's like a diet. Like you know, I don't know of anyone who can stick to a diet long term. And for me, if I actually had to sit down uh, with my wife and go, let's do, uh, let's break out an Excel spreadsheet and budget everything down to like the last dollar, <laughs> she wouldn't have married me. Like it's just not <laughs> been able to work it out, you know. So it's sort of happy wife, happy life a little bit. Um, and I've taught this to you know to my AFL footballers and and stuff. And they kind of get it, and it means that you can go out and get plastered if that's what you want to do. Not that let's <laughs> yeah. do that because that would be irresponsible. But if there's something that you want to do that makes you feel good, go out. You mean that's why you're working? You know, go out and have fun and For sure. put some money aside to go overseas because that's what makes life living. But just make sure that you become conscious about how you're spending your money. We've um, we've we've danced around a little bit, but so you had your first book that you said uh, went to a bestseller, and this is your. Your brand new one, which is about uh, three months old at the moment, and yes. it skyrocketed. It was, it was, it was. I see it everywhere. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I think my, it's still my, number my one. First book was a bestseller, but um, the bestseller back then, I, I, I don't know how many copies I eventually sold of that first book, but it was. It's nothing compared to what um, this book has done. So this book, I think, has been. Uh, on the has been number one bestseller for nine weeks on top yeah. of the charts, and it's um it's sold um well over I think it's about one hundred and fifty thousand copies now. Wow, it yeah. seems to over the last uh, couple of weeks, if I've ever said I'm I'm speaking with a barefoot investor, everyone I speak to's got a copy, and they said it's uh, how much money they've saved and how easy awesome. it is, and so that's yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, same. And just uh, just on the you say you how you uh, help a lot of AFL footy players out. Do you see do they have the same good and bad habits, say, as the people on who are earning less money? Sure, of course. Yeah, um, I mean, more money doesn't mean that you're better at managing your money. It just means you've got more temptation. Yeah. Um, and what I find is that, you know, managing your money, really, it's it's mainly your behaviour, right? So it's that idea, like, you know, so the, the idea of the premise of this book, I was never going to write another book. Like, I'm like, I wrote the first one. It did well. I never thought it would do well, and that's it. And then what happened to me was in 2014, I live on a farm where I'm talking to you from now, and, and we lost everything. So a bushfire came through. Um, it took absolutely everything. And I remember driving down the like our, our, our road um, to our house, and I had my wife um, sitting next to me. I had our little baby boy at the time in the back seat. And seeing everything gone, like just literally everything we ever owned was gone. And I remember at that point in time, um, it was kind of 
weird uh, and surreal because there was a helicopter, uh, a Channel uh, 7 News helicopter hovering above um, taking shots of us because I was on uh, Channel 7 at that, at that time. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, my wife was just screaming and my son was screaming and I thought, you know what, I got this. I can, I can, I can handle this. And you know, it, for all the years that I'd done in from my last book, what I realised is everybody wants to be uh, wants to be sort of rich, and they want sort of the four hour work week, spray on hair. I can get rich in like two seconds. <laughs> really, when it comes down to it, when you are at your worst, and that was probably the worst point in my life. What you really want is um, to say, no matter what, I can look after my family. No matter what, I have to. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, because what's true is, and what I found in my life is, you earn more money, but that doesn't mean you're any happier. Because if you earn more money, you just want more money, you mm. know. So mm. for me, this book was about showing people from you know guys your age to your parents to your grandparents that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the basis of the book. Um, it's not. It's going to show you how to get wealthy long term, but really, it's about safety. And I think what from what I went through, that's the most important thing. And that's the same thing for AFL footballers. A lot of them get there and they don't earn a lot of money when they start. But I deal with rookies and I also deal with some of the higher, better-known players. And the truth is they're not there for a long time. You know, it's a mm. really short career and it can stop at any time. So they're dealing with um, – they don't have a lot of security. So that's what I try and do. I try and set them up. Yeah, yeah fantastic. It's a powerful opening to the book. And I, the reason I found out about the book was uh, I think you sent out to the – the email list that that opening chapter in the alpaca story and yeah. the bushfight man it was it was powerful it was I've a powerful read yeah. yeah all about I've got this I I feel like this book um, more so than the original one is perhaps maybe as you've uh, got older and and learn a few different things about what's required financially that perhaps some of the writing has got older in that we really related to the the plant so the book's written in plant uh, yeah and then next is is grow. So and then harvest. So I feel like uh, some of those grow and harvest is what we're looking forward to. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, it, it, would you say that your your audience is is getting a little bit older now, or is it? I think it's no, definitely for everyone. When I first start, when I wrote my first, uh, uh, when I wrote the first book, I was a young guy coming out of uh, you know uh, the stock exchange out, out to take on the world. This next book, I've got a wife, I've got a kid. Um, and I'm also, you know, in the time that I've written that, I write uh, two newspaper columns in every major newspaper in the country. Um, I work for, at the time, I work for Channel 7 nationally. So I've got a very broad audience. And so I've got right now about eighteen or 19,000 questions sitting on my email list wow. from people asking <laughs> questions. Yeah. Literally, it is insane. Yeah. Um, and that, and they, they range from seven-year-old kids asking about their pocket money to people in their 90s. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to write a book that basically helped everyone along. And the sort of the common theme is the date night. So it's that idea of saying, you're, you're going to read a book like this. You're going to get inspired and then you're going to forget about it. <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> a monthly date night where you get on the fizz, right? So you go out and I do this with my wife. Right, so we go out and we we go out to a nice restaurant. She gets dressed up. I comb my hair. Um, <laughs> so we talk about where our money's going, and we talk about what we want to do and what we want to do um, with our smile account and all those things. And it just allows us to actually focus one night a month 
Um, and I do that when we've both got alcohol in our hands and garlic bread. And it's a really enjoyable night. We don't talk all about money for the whole night, yeah. but it just serves as a focus to actually say little by little, month by month, over 12 months, we're actually going to get this sorted. And yeah. it's really Fantastic. important. That sounds awesome. Mate, just a question on, I'm sure this is going to be a good portion of those thousands of emails that are just sitting there. But if we can get into property, which is very topical in yeah. Australia at the moment, and <clears throat> Everyone, a lot of my mates, including myself, sometimes we've got this fear of missing out. You know, everyone's getting these huge returns on property. Is it safe to assume this this assumption that property goes up six to eight percent every year? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I I, I write about this in my book, but I think it's total bullshit. Really, I mean, <laughs> it's peddled. It's it's really peddled by property uh, gurus and aided and abetted by banks and, you know, a lot of the media is is backed by real estate websites and stuff. So, uh, you know, we've got um, a generation. If you look back, we've had an un- uninterrupted economic growth for the last, what, 26 years now. Now, we need to – how old are you guys? 24 and 26. There you go. So you've never – since you, you basically – have um, never seen an economic downturn. Now, that kind of lulls us into a false sense of security, right? But if you actually take a step back and you look at it, that is history-breaking. There has never been a country, there was Netherlands, and they were 25 and a bit, we're now 26, that has had such an uninterrupted economic span of growth ever. Like, this is world-beating. We don't have an economic cycle. It's just been growing for like 26 (laughs) years. And what we've seen is more and more money has gone into property. And as more and more money has gone into property, um, prices have gone up. And really what's happened is our debt levels have gone up. Mm. I mean, our household debt um, is uh, our household debt to income is the highest it's ever been. It's one of the highest in the world. And so, you know, people think that um, property just never goes down. Well, yeah, maybe in the last 26 years. But what happens when we do face a recession? And we will eventually. So for me, um, I, I, you know, I'm probably one of the few people that I own multiple properties. Um, I own farms. I own, own lots of property. But I can also say this is not normal. This is this is a blip. This is this is not something that will be sustained. Mm. Absolutely, and you, you you give some some ridiculous numbers. If people say you know property doubles every eight to ten years, and you you extrapolate that to some ridiculous numbers, and it's obviously un, sure. unsustainable, isn't it? So, no. But the truth is that it has happened. Property has doubled every seven to ten years over the last twenty four to twenty six years, yeah. and that that is true. And for many people, that is a lifetime. That is their mm. whole investment lifetime for the baby boomers. What I'm saying is if you actually look back and look at it in a historical context, this is an outlier. This whole time in Australia has been one of the most amazing economic growth stories ever in history, mm. and I don't think it's going to be repeated. I wish it was for my kids, <laughs> but I just don't feel. Yeah. You so, know, so I'm just saying let's just pour a little bit of common sense on this and say um, right now we have got humongous debts at a time when interest rates are at all-time lows so mm. all i'm saying is a like a just a normal dude going so we've got record household debts and we've got record low interest rates what happens when they reverse yeah. and my view is that I, that we'll see property prices come down when that will happen i do not know yeah i've been wrong for years <laughs> yeah, so true. let's say if uh what what is something say someone who's young and they've saved up 
30, 40 grand or something and they're about to buy their first property and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to buy it in St Kilda or whatever and just buy it to the absolute max. So would you suggest perhaps that's not the best idea or they can put their money elsewhere? No, I think that if you can, um, if you can afford a property and you want to live there, um, I think it's always a good time to buy a house. I know, I know that that sounds, um, that sounds really weird. Um, I don't think you should overextend yourself. I actually write about that. There are people who are postcode povos, right? So, you, and I, I know these people, you know, I write about them in a book. I, I change their names because it just sort of makes, um, when they come over for dinner, really <laughs> awkward. Um, but they are true. They are real people and they spend all their money and all their time hoping that they can live by the ocean, you know, and I just find that madness or St Kilda or wherever it, wherever it is. Mm. Um, but my personal view is that if you've got enough money to buy a house and you're going to live there for 10 or 20 years, it doesn't really matter what the, what the housing market is going to do. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter because you, if you can afford it, you buy it, you live there, and it'll be worth more, you know, in 20 years' time than it is now, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is that if you put it off, it's like Warren Buffett says, it's like saving up sex for your old age. You're probably not a good <laughs> idea. Like if you want to own a house, and I think a house is a terrible investment, right? Mm. But it's but it's um it's it's great to own your own home. I love it's one of the most proudest things I've ever done. But I just don't think you should put it off because you're waiting for the housing market to crash. Because it it may keep going for another ten or twenty years. I doubt it, but it may. Mm. And you know, if you can afford to buy, you buy. For sure. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I saw your email that came out. Uh, today, which talked a, a little bit about the benefits of of renting, if if renting is a choice, which I I liked. Just uh, on the book, you you gave a basically if you're a couple, how you can save up your house deposit in 20 months, which is uh, sure. a flawless strategy. Makes a lot of sense. I guess my my question is that that was based on you're in a couple. Obviously, you're keen to buy a house together, and you're both on a an average yeah. salary of of eighty thousand a year. Uh, what if mm-hmm. you uh, uh, not at that average salary, or you haven't found your your husband or wife yet. Uh, what what should yeah. we start doing today to start if we want to buy a house? What should we do to start looking towards that? Three points there. First one is that I actually wrote about um, there's sort of um, barefoot um, case studies, and I've got a girl called Danielle who um, was a, a woman, young woman uh, in her uh, late twenties, early thirties, um, who was single. And she managed to buy her own home. Took her about six, seven years or thereabouts from sort of start to to finish. But she bought her own home. And it was a nice home, like a nice little townhouse. So you can do it. Um, But it's hard. Um, Second thing that I would say is that um, I write about sort of swinging on the trapeze and doing doing sort of uh, uh, a side business like I did to earn more income. I mean, the truth is, um, you know, Joe Hockey was right. You know, if you want to buy a nice house, you've got to get a good job. You know, um, that's true. You've got to earn more money. So you either do that in your career or you freelance to the point where you can actually um, earn more money and then you put it towards a house. But the third thing that I would say is this. There's a lot of people um, who talk about, uh, and this was the, the focus of my most recent article, there's a lot of people who get FOMO, right, so fear of missing out. They just want to buy just want to get on the property ring. So they'll, they'll hear these things like being a rent vester, which is like such a totally stupid word. Like <laughs> it's that, um, I'm going to rent in this nice place and I'm going to buy 
in some shithole somewhere as a <laughs> property investment and the you know i'm i'm i get to live in you know st kilda and i'm you know i'm not going to say where you'd be buying but you're buying somewhere <laughs> probably probably somewhere out near my farm yeah. where I live. Yeah. um uh but um you know that to me just doesn't make any sense i've never seen that actually work out and i have again thousands and thousands of emails uh, in my inbox. And generally what happens is young dude says, I'm going to be a rent investor. I'm going to prove that I can get out and buy a house. So they buy an investment property thinking that in three to five years' time, the equity in that property is going to go up. I'll pull it out and I'll buy a dream home. Yeah. Generally what happens is the house ends up costing them, the investment property costs them more than they think because property generally does that. It doesn't grow as much as you think because you've got to have stamp duty and all those sorts of things. Um, and then you end up meeting a girl. Girl says, don't want to live in that investment property, want a nice home here. And you're like, hang on, I'm in a bind. I better email Barefoot Investor because <laughs> my investment property hasn't done anything. It's costing me all this money. I can't save. My uh, girlfriend wants us to you know, settle down and buy this house. What am I going to do? So my view, again, is that if you're not in the right space, and that could be your job, uh, you don't know where you're going to live. Um, it could be, again, that you don't uh, haven't found Mr. or Mrs. Wright. That's actually not a bad reason not to buy, mm. you know, to not buy a house. And then the third one is if you can't afford it. And if you can't afford it, that's a really good thing. That's a sign of maturity by saying, I'm actually not going to be sucked into the property pawn. I must own a home so I can sit at the big people's table at Christmas time. I'm actually going to save. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, nice. And I think there's, that's totally logical. Yeah, mate, love it. Fantastic. Hopefully my uh, brother's listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, did he actually make the bad decision or did, or, or is, is his girlfriend busting his nuts? <laughs> the latter. It's a bit of both, but I hope Jenna's not listening. But, uh, <laughs> a bit of both. <laughs> but yeah, he's looking to um, take an equity out and, and borrow into the max. So, um, but yeah, switching gears a bit, Good. mate. We've got... Um, so going from like saving to buy a house, what about the other side of the spectrum? Say if you've got someone who's a little bit older or maybe young and they're in 20 or 30 grand credit card debt. First of all, look, I loved in your book, I almost forgot about this character the Commonwealth Bank puts in our school's cred, the cool dude who rides yes. a skateboard and, you know, he's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, mate. But, um, it is just insane that, you know, Australia's biggest... A uh, 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 seller of credit cards is also the people teaching you about money in oh, schools. Yeah. I mean, it's like Ronald McDonald teaching your kids about nutrition. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, they have a vested interest in not in bringing out, you know, cartoon characters like Cred. And I just think it's completely ridiculous. Oh, mm. Yeah, absolutely crazy. <laughs> so what um what are the what is someone something someone can do to get out of get out of debt, if they, they've got these spending habits and, and they're really You know, the first thing that I always say, I've got this thing called um, the debt domino, which is basically you take out a piece of paper, you write down your debts, all of your debts, from your mates to credit cards to parking bills to everything on a piece of paper, and you, you rank them from the smallest to the largest, right? Yeah. And then what you do is you pay the minimums and you start, you pay the, 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 the smallest one first, and then you celebrate. You yeah. celebrate actually paying it off and then um, you go back and then you, you get the second biggest debt and the third. And what you're doing is you're building up momentum. And again, in the book, I talk about um, a, a mother-daughter combo. Um, the, the, the daughter read my book, um, got out of credit card debt, um, 
then she was talking to her mum about it. She, her mum never told her that she actually had thousands of dollars in credit card debt. So then they both did the debt domino together, and each time she paid off a debt, they celebrated, um, and she became debt-free over, over a number of years. And that actually became a lifesaver for her because – um, I think it was about 12 months later or thereabouts, she kept saving after she paid off that last debt. And it was like she was like she's not paying off a credit card. She was saving for herself. Mm, she got sick. diagnosed with cancer. And because she had the money there, she could actually pay to get the treatment then and there. So, again, my view is that if you're – there's like simple tricks, you know, the idea of um, dominoing your debt, smallest to largest. But really what it is – it's about making a stand and saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. So for me personally, I don't have a credit card. Like I, I don't, I don't, I can afford a credit card now, but I don't want it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just every day on my Facebook page, someone is 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 putting a, a photo on uploading it, uh, and we call it plastic surgery. You know, they're doing <laughs> cutting it up and and sharing it, and it's awesome to see because you know you're not in financial control if you've got um, credit card debt. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, absolutely love it. So, I mean, uh, a very close family member of mine finally cut up that card after about 30 years. So that was huge to see. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I really like that strategy as well. Often we're told to pay the highest interest first, but I like this idea yeah. of paying the smallest dollar amount first and, and building yeah. up and getting those wins along the way and building up. Well, the first book, my first book, actually, that's the traditional advice and, and, it, and it does work. Um, but you know, the truth is that, um, it can be, and this is why debt consolidation is really hard because to a maths nerd, um, sitting in an office, it actually in a, in a bank's office, it makes sense to take all your high interest rate debt and, and roll it all over into a low rate personal loan. The problem is it's like eating an elephant. It's really hard mm. when you see a huge sum. So what you really want to do is get some little wins and celebrate and it just builds up a momentum. And, yeah, you know, look, the, the truth is I've been doing this for a lot of years now and I've never had one person come back to me and go, hey, you know, Barefoot Investor, you told me to pay off my credit cards and it was the worst <laughs> thing. I, I look back to my financial plan and my my life just sucked the day I paid off my credit card. <laughs> yeah. says that because it's like awesome when you do. You go, I don't have to do this. I don't have to deal with these guys yeah. anymore. Yeah, fantastic Incredible stuff, mate. We'll, we'll sort of start to wind down. What does what does what does a barefoot investor do today? What does your day to day look like at the moment? Do you know? I, I today I'm just going to give you what I did today. So to, I'm on the farm. Um, yep. I uh, I chased around some sheep because they're getting out the back paddock. Um, that's not a metaphor. That is true. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I had. Uh, a, a film crew uh, turn up here and we're doing uh, a campaign uh, for people who have been affected by natural disasters, so bushfires and floods and stuff, um, the importance of credit cards, mm-hmm. uh, importance of credit cards, the importance <laughs> of insurance. <laughs> there was a bit of Freudian <laughs> slip there. On credit cards because when you are in financial strife, the last people that you want to turn to are banks and credit cards. They are not in it for you. So the importance of having uh, insurance, because what we found in Black Saturday is a lot of people um, just weren't prepared. They didn't have uh, insurance, and it just made everything worse. Yeah. So I did a. That was all my. That's what I did all day, basically, um, doing videos and and stuff for them, uh, for the government. We're going to do a launch uh, in about a month on that. Um, but generally speaking. Um, 
uh, I spend a lot of time, um, I've got uh, an outsourced team, so a remote team. So we've got staff members all over the world and uh, I have really great people um, who work sort of full-time for me. They sort of manage a lot of what I do and it leaves me to help people and to um, to do all the other media stuff that I, that I, that I do. Oh, and I actually... So this morning, sorry, I was on Triple M with Eddie McGuire doing his money. I do his um, Monday morning, Monday morning money with Eddie. Yep. Uh, then I went uh, with my son and we went looking for to the butchers for a bone for uh, our dog <laughs> <laughs> because I got very angry at my dog. I yelled at my dog because the sheep were getting out in the back paddock and my son said I wasn't being very nice to Betty the sheepdog who was on the front cover of my book. Yeah. So, and got a bone for Betty, and now I'm talking to you guys. How <laughs> is that? Is that just too granular for you guys? Mate, that is that's a good day. <laughs> that's a good that day. A, I'd be happy with that day, definitely. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> Unreal, mate. Uh, so, yeah, we're, obviously we're a podcast. You recommend awesome books like yourself. Do you have any books that you recommend to people other than your own, of course? Yeah, other than me. Um, yeah, I reckon um, I'm going to – I'm just – I'm just going to stop here for a sec. Yeah. I'm going to have a look at my um, my. This is, I'm going to have a look at my uh, bookshelf. Okay. Yeah. yeah go for yeah, it. Go for it. Let me have a look at this. Because uh, the truth is, and we can keep talking about this. The yeah. truth is that when the fire came through, I lost over a thousand books. Oh. Because uh, 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 I'm a huge reader. Um, so what I'm, big loss. it is a huge loss. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is I'm going through my Kindle. Because that's where all my books are. Because I, I don't tend to do um, paper books anymore because it's kind of depressing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my books, the, the first one that really changed things for me uh, was uh, How Much Is Enough by a guy by the name of Arun, Arun Abay. Now, most authors, you know, make you feel like, you know, especially when you're talking about money and happiness and stuff, let's all sort of sit in a circle and strum a guitar. <laughs> uh, Arun is uh, now is one of my close friends as a process of reading his book years ago. Uh, but he's one of the happiest people I know, one of the most fulfilled people I know, and one of the wealthiest dudes I know. Um, so this book is kind of on the uh, on the fringe, but it's a really awesome book if you've ever, you know, you start earning some money and you're like, well, how much is enough? And the answer is <laughs> it's never enough um, for, mm. for something. So that would be uh, How Much Is Enough by Aruna Bay. Second one would be Tribes uh, by Seth Godin, um, the master. He's the we, man. We, loved, we did Tribes uh, a couple of weeks, about eight weeks ago. Eight weeks and ago. it was Love Tribes, Love Seth. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I've, you know, when he wrote, uh, gave me an endorsement on the book. And that's, you know, because Tribes has had a really big effect on me because I've really built my tribe, uh, Barefoot Investor, and it ranges from sort of young people to old people and we're sort of a community that really help people. So uh, Tribes is a, is a big one for anyone wanting to make meaning and purpose. The third one is very, very off the record. Oh, it's not off the record. Off the, It's, it's kind of strange. I don't yeah. know of anyone that really has, has read it. It's called The Practicing Mind uh, by Tom Sturmer. Um, it's a really, really weird but awesome book um, in that it's really practical um, uh, because it talks about um, uh, just the art of practicing. And I just found it to be, I don't know, maybe it was just where I needed, what, it, you know, you read a book at a certain point in your mm. life and you go, hey, this really works for me. Yeah. Um, so I think the practicing mind. And the, the only other one would be um, Mini Habits uh, by Stephen, I think Stephen it's. Guys. 
guys. Um, I found that to be that idea of just doing sort of instead of trying to do, you know, 50 uh, sit-ups a day, you do one um, (laughs) and develop a little habit. And if you could see me in my office now, I've got a calendar, a wall calendar that I mark off um, things every day with my writing and with um, I've just got lots of mini habits. So that would be the books that have really um, influenced me. But, you know, I read all the time and I always get something out of, you know, nearly every book that I read. So, yeah. We're actually speaking to Stephen Guys in two or three weeks. Um, Of course. So so looking forward to that one. I am going to download that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, Well, Scott, thank you very much for coming on and thank you very much for your book, The Barefoot Investor. You said... 150,000 copies and I think that's 150,000 people who are better off financially if they've, if they've yeah, got 100%. through it. So thank you very much. Is there, is there anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, look, I, I just want to thank you guys for, um, for doing this but also for, for doing a podcast on these amazing books because not, not, mine's an amazing book but you're, <laughs> you're sharing these that the, the, you, you, you're helping people learn about, um, you know, it's twenty nine ninety five for most books, and you know there's there's a few ideas there that can really change things, as you said. So, so thank you guys. It's been a lot of fun, uh, and I hope to be back on at some stage. Yeah, Fantastic, we'd love to you. have you, and all the best with what's whatever comes next. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Scott. See ya. <laughs>